Hey, welcome to FQ, where we talk about faith, family, and friends. I'm Jacob. And I'm George. And welcome to this week's podcast. Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast. It is June 3rd, 2021. Crazy. Um, This week we have John, is it Gary or Geary? You said it right the first time. All right, John Gary. And he is bought by blood three sixteen on TikTok. Hey man, how's it going? Uh doing good. Besides lagging the day. internet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lagging a little bit here, but uh you I, I, I see your mouth move and then I hear your words in my ears. So it's great. It happens. <laughs> Especially with we're kind of double Bluetooth, so that happens also with that. Um yeah, so Tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Like, where'd you grow up? Uh, when did you become a Christian? Because we know you weren't born one, because that doesn't happen. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I grew up in Indiana. Uh, lived there for pretty much 18 years. 15 years in a town called Logansport. And three years in a town called Peru. Not to be confused with the country. Because what would happen is a lot of people, literally wherever we went, I'd be like, I'm from Peru. And their eyes would get about this big. Uh, (laughs) And then I would just simply put Indiana after that. And then they're just like, oh, you're not as special as we thought you were. (laughs) Uh, Obviously, they they wouldn't say that, but their eyes would say that. And so, yeah, I grew up there, um, became a Christian. For the very first time, uh, even though I grew up in church pretty much my entire life, I became a Christian uh, during the production of Heaven's Gate Hell's Flames. I was scared into heaven. But eventually, Wait, uh, that, that, my fear for hell... Is that yeah, that go ahead. whole thing where they have like shirts and sell all that and they do like fire and flames and like the church usually does 90% of the acting with... 10% of their guys or something like that. <clears throat> not even 10, not even 10%. Usually. So what, uh, uh, Oh, the name of the ministry, um, reality ministries. Yeah. And basically what it is is, yeah, they'll come in, they'll bring all the props. They'll bring all the costumes. They'll bring all the makeup. They'll bring all the, uh, the set and all the pieces with that. And then you, your church just provides the actors. And then literally, They'll get there on like a Thursday and set up. They'll get there Thursday mornings. I, I'm I'm really good friends with um, the president of the company. His name is oh, Dwayne okay. Corbin, and he's a phenomenal human being. Um, so they'll get there pretty much on a Thursday, and then they'll set up throughout the day. Thursday night, they'll have their first service, and they will do uh, casting. So you'll read lines. Whoever shows up, they'll give get given a random script, and they'll just read the lines. And then yeah. the next morning, on Friday morning, uh, everyone will meet back, and they'll basically, okay, uh, this is the part you have. You're this, you're this, you're this. Yeah. And so now when I got saved, I was not a part of it. Yeah. I became a part of it the, the following year because it was an annual thing we did each year as a church. But uh, the first time I got saved, uh, I, I I was scared to death, <laughs> primarily because 
for those who don't know what Heaven's Gate Tells Flames is, it's basically real life situations that anyone could be, uh, whether they're driving in the car on the way to get some food and then get into a car accident. And if you're a Christian, obviously it's represented by the life you live. It's represented by the script and the lines and all of these things. But if you are not, that's also represented. So if you're doing things that are uh, in direct rejection and rebellion against God, you can kind of see that within the script and how it plays out and mannerisms and stuff. But in every single scene, someone dies, whether it's the Christian or whether it's the, uh, the, whether it's the sinner or the saint. And so then they stand before the judgment seat. Now, this is not theologically accurate on how it's going to happen. But uh, they stand at the judgment seat and basically say, Angel is my name in the book. And, if, and then if it's the Christian, the hallelujah chorus will literally play. The angels will lift their swords. Jesus will come out at the very top of the stairs uh, of these golden stairs that lead up to heaven or what we also like to call the baptistry. And <laughs> then basically Jesus would come down, hug them, and they'd go, hallelujah. But if you went to hell, Satan would come out, all his demons, and pretty much give some one-liners, uh, little little one-line roasts, and then literally drag you to hell. And they encourage you, uh, when you're actually a part of it, you're going to hell. Scream like it. Uh, and so it, it was a salvation. All that to say, it was a salvation that was first originated based off of fear of hell but as i began to grow in relationship with god the fear of hell was replaced with an excitement for heaven yeah so i no longer i I no longer in relationship with jesus have a fear of hell now i'm just excited to die because (laughs) get off so one of my favorite (laughs) quotes says this if you are a christian this earth is your hell but yeah. if you are a sinner, or, or, or I'm, I'm sorry, not a sinner. If you are a Christian, this earth is your hell. If you're an unbeliever, this earth is your heaven. Dang. Yeah, That's it's a kind of a <laughs> <laughs> So. And, well, even thinking about that, because I'm pretty sure, I don't know if there's other companies that do it, but I'm almost 100% sure I was in one of their plays. Because they came to our oh, church, nice. and so I was an angel. I don't remember the music, though, of like, hallelujah. But, like, I definitely remember, like, they did a scene with Jesus on the cross and stuff like that. Yeah. That was, like, pretty intense. And so that, yeah, that's what they start out with. They start out with all these modern-day characters yeah. where pretty much everyone who goes to hell in the – so from start to finish, you have multiple, you have more people that go to hell than you do heaven. Because that's actually biblically consistent. Why does the gate that leads to destruction narrow the gate that leads to life? You find it. So they actually they show more hell than they do heaven. But yeah. everyone in their scene that goes to hell is always going to be present. And e- even some people that go to heaven, they're always going to be present at the crucifixion. So you have all these modern characters in modern clothes screaming as Jesus. So the first song that they'll play is like the uh, the Via Dolorosa, right? Yeah. Jesus will will be making his way down down that the soldiers are beating him and everything and it goes into the crucifixion and then you have the crowd 
these modern day characters screaming crucify. And then you have the victory of the resurrection over the devil where Jesus kind of busts out the tomb and puts his foot on the devil's neck. Um, Multiple years that I was actually in it, I also played the devil many times. Um, just because there, there's something about my black hair and dark eyes that just makes it really easy to look evil. Um, so, yeah, and it's a lot. It's a lot of fun. It's compelling. I, yeah, I was an angel. And my best friend was a demon, and so we actually have a picture like on Facebook or something where we're like face to face, like staring at each other. Because I was all sparkly with oh. like. I had so many sparkles. It took like weeks for that to go away after that. Um, but yeah, oh, that, yeah, that definitely, I mean, basically it would be like that old school saying of like, Hey, they're trying to scare the hell out of you. And that's yeah. basically what, what yeah. happens with that is like, people are like, well, I don't want that. Cause I remember we had a girl that could scream very well when she was going to hell and like, <laughs> Even knowing I knew, it would still throw me off. Like, holy crap, man. <laughs> and Just so, like, is she, is she good? <clears throat> so, um, funny story is the first year I was in it, the very first year, I played this character called Matt. And yeah. we were at this party, and I was like, I was like this drug dealer, basically. <laughs> and um, it's like, hey, ladies. So I was like the womanizer, the, the playboy, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And uh, my my now wife was my girlfriend in this that I got pregnant. <laughs> Pre- well, please understand quotation marks are being put up for those who are listening. Yes, they're uh, So in the drama, <laughs> in the drama, I got her pregnant. But I also say I have AIDS. <laughs> so... <laughs> She's like, she screams, AIDS, you jerk. And then I mean, slams me with a slap across the face. And this is what they're told to do. So in practice, what was so funny is uh, the first time we're practicing our lines, we've been given our parts. And then she comes to that line, AIDS, you jerk. And she just kind of taps me. The director, Dwayne Corbin, comes over and is like, what was that? He just gave you AIDS and you just gave him a little love tap. No, smack him, girl. Are you good with being smacked, John? I'm like, yeah, I can handle it. I'm, I'm, I'm here to make this as real as possible. Yeah, yeah. Lay it on me. So the next, so we've only practiced this one time, and she's only slapped me, and it was just a little love tap once. <laughs> and next thing I know, we do it the next time, and I was not ready. I did not expect <laughs> her to go in. I was not expecting her to go in that hard. So I'm standing on stage. Next thing I know, it's age, you jerk. It's like life slowed down. It was like slow motion. I see how far back her shoulder extends. And then with just the thrust of force hammer comes across my face, slaps me so hard. And I was so unprepared that I actually stumbled and knocked into the angel with the sword during practice. And everyone just stopped. And the director's like, yeah! (laughs) (laughs) And I swear, no joke, it it got harder every night during the performance. Like, when she laid into me, I would leave. Like, you could probably get, find out who she was in a crime by just taking the fingerprints off of my face. (laughs) 
because she slapped me so deliberately. And uh, literally people in the audience would come up to me and be like, was that real or was that a sound effect? So this is a slap. This slap is not mic'd. It's yeah. just a slap in an auditorium. But it was so loud that people would come up to me and be like, was that a sound effect or did she actually hit you? Like every night, no, she hit me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was a lot, it was a lot of fun. That's I, awesome. I, I, lo- I love doing that. So, so you got saved from that and then you started, how old were you then when that happened? 12. I was 12 years old. So like I said, I was raised in church, Yeah. but ultimately, um, this is the first time where I'm like, okay, I'm going to take God seriously because hell hot. That was, that, yeah. that was more or less my, my reaction. Awesome. So from 12 on your, like, did you ever, were you just straight going to church kind of thing? Like from there on, and then you and your wife obviously started thinking on the word. She slapped you a lot, so yeah. So yeah, I started thinking on the worship slap. team at this church, and uh, no, it, it, so I <laughs> no. I met her when I was first. No, um, so okay, we might we we can maybe get into this a little later, but I'll just give a, a background a little bit. So I first met my wife when we were ten years old, right? Oh wow! And it was at a Big Daddy Weave concert. So I'm just standing in my home, and my sister was married to someone who was living at her father's house. So uh, my father-in-law, he, he's actually no longer with us, but my father-in-law, he took in over 50 people into his home as a pastor. Wow. So that's also another thing, pastor's daughter. Mm. Um, so he took in over 50 people into his home over a period of 25 years where they were drug addicts, they could be prostitutes in some cases, uh, I, I mean, alcoholics, you name it. If you, if you needed a place to stay and you were willing to follow the rules of his house and he didn't think you would be a danger to his family in any way, then you were welcome. Yeah. And so my sister was married to a guy who was living there, and his name was Jason. And one day they show up at my house, and I'm just – I'm like nine years old. And this the first time I met Rebecca, who is now my wife. So I've known her since we were ten, about 10 years old. Oh, wow. And uh, we went to this Big Daddy Weave concert, and I didn't know her at all. But I'm doing, like, the flirty thing. It's like, eh, she cute. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be, like, trying to start a conversation with her, bumping into her every once in a while, like, during the music. Oh, I'm so sorry. Like I, I wasn't like the full force of like, I'm going to kick you in the leg. That's my way of flirting, but like just a playful bump, a playful yeah. bump every now and again. When I tell you this girl ran from me, literally just escaped down to the front of the auditorium where I could not find her. And I'm, I'm like, well, uh, that didn't work. <laughs> One day when my sister is getting married to this guy, I walk into the church. She's literally the first person I see as a bridesmaid. And, uh, or not a bridesmaid. She was, she was, she was something. I don't know. She was dressed in like wedding stuff. Literally. I walked in the church. This is my first time actually ever ever going to this church. I walk in the church and my wife is just look, or well, uh, Becca was just looking at me. Yeah. And as soon as she saw me, she recognized me and she was heading one way down the hall toward, uh, 
she had a she had a destination she was going to. But when she saw me, that destination changed to whatever's behind her. <laughs> and so she she saw me and she immediately turned around. But uh, yeah, I, I long story short, uh, she's my wife now, and it was a long, long, painful process of escaping and uh, escaping and clawing my way out of what we call the friend zone. So. <laughs> So, obviously, you guys weren't dating at this point. So, you're going to church. You're learning about who Jesus is and what the Bible says. And do you go for, to college from here, or is that when you meet your wife? Or, well, whenever Rebecca actually lets you <laughs> out of the friend zone? Or were you like, all right, I'm going to go through high school? So, it was that. And, uh, yeah, so, high school. Uh <laughs> I also, even though I met, I, I got serious with Jesus at 12 years old I, and I really gave my life to him. It, so I am not someone who believes in once saved, always saved. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's an important dis- distinction because I fell from that grace. That is the moment when I first said, Jesus, I want you as Lord and Savior. I, I, I genuinely, I, I, I want to change my ways. And I lived that way for a while until temptation started getting at me and I started going back into rebellious lifestyle and stuff like that. Yeah. But no one could ever look at me and tell me. So here's why I reject once saved, always saved. And it's because of the premise that follows. So by saying once saved, always saved, it means you can never lose your salvation. Well, the premise that follows that naturally is the premise that says – If you fell away, you were never saved to begin with. Yeah. That's the primary reason that I reject once saved, always saved is because of the premise that follows. But um, so I I, I know that my relationship with Christ was was real and was true and what was what was going on. So biblically, how do you how do you weigh those two? Because I'm I'm not going to say like because I I kind of I'm not sure which because. I think in general yeah. that there's people who go, I'm saved, and then they're really not. And so yeah, I get that, that point of view for sure. And then I see that there are people that are saved, but then I'm like, but are you when you're living a life like, hey, I'm going to just keep yeah. sinning and all that? And then I'm like, that's not really my place to really judge that, but your fruits aren't showing that, so I'm not really sure. Like, I wouldn't. Like I'm not gonna go tell someone, hey, you're you're not saved, but <laughs> like obviously yeah, if they're like, absolutely. hey, I I've never asked Jesus in my heart, I'm just saved, then I'd probably be like, uh, no, you're not. <laughs> That'd be a definite time when I do that. But like when somebody's yeah, like, hey, I've done that, I'm like, uh. So how do you biblically get to that point of, hey, this is, you you can't always be saved if once saved, always saved kind so- of mentality. So let, let's think of it this way. Um, maybe the easiest way to describe it is the story of the prodigal son. Yeah. So within the story of the prodigal son, what you have represented is the son looks at his father and says, give me my inheritance, which is the equivalent to saying, hey, right. you're dead to me. Give me my money now. Yeah. yeah. So you have that equi- equi- equivalence there and you have this son that runs away from home. Yeah. And runs away from the father. And so he's only a son 
in, in, in terms if he returns to his father and says, okay, obviously, father, you're not dead to me. Like, like he yeah. has to return to the father. And so this is, I think, a great uh, picture of grace, a, a great picture of repentance in terms of we're at home, <laughs> we run away, and we do our wild living, and then we realize, okay, we're just eating with the pigs at this point, and God has so much, uh, so much better for us. And so even as the prodigal says, my, my father's servants eat better than this. And so he returns home, and then the father meets him with open arms and prepares a, a banquet. Yeah. And so this, I think, is an example uh it's an easy example to say that i would not say that uh, he was not a son in the beginning of the story i would not say he's not a son again at the end of the story there's no point to where he lost his sonship but there is a point to where he lost his relationship yeah that makes and so that makes sense um so Within, yeah, within, within this, I was basically a really rebellious kid, and I was kicked out of eight schools. Yeah. Um, I was kicked out of four public schools, and uh, I, I was kicked out of – no, no, I'm sorry. Three public schools and five Christian schools. Yeah. And during that time, eventually – so here's another thing. You can do the math. Uh, I can't. I was kicked out of school. Uh, the, the, I was kicked out of eight schools before ninth grade. So in between third grade and ninth grade, ninth, my ninth grade, my freshman year of high school, I was actually homeschooled because I got to the point where my parents was like, okay, maybe you shouldn't be around people. So my Uh, question is, because I was getting in deep. Uh, maybe you're about to say, yeah. what were you doing to get kicked out of school so much? <laughs> yeah, so I, I got into a lot of physical altercations. Um, Was it I got with bullies, into, or were you the bully? Both. So I was a, I was an interesting type of bully. <laughs> um, I was the bully that it was it was mainly based off of like relationships and like girls. Uh, so it was never like, I'm going to bully you because I don't like your glasses. Yeah. No, it was more so like, <laughs> I like, I like the girl you with and I'm going to humiliate you in front of her. Uh, uh, okay. that, that was, that was kind of the bully that I was. And, um, there was, it, it was this craziest thing. Every classroom I was ever in, there was at least one girl that I liked. So whoever, whoever was, whether it was third grade or fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, didn't matter. And so, uh, during, during this time, I was trying to be the big kid on campus. One of the Christian schools I went to, uh, it was like all the grades were in the same room. And so I couldn't be the big dog on campus. Cause there's like these massive seniors <laughs> there, I remember this one kid in Royal center. His name was Tyler. This man looked like he was 40. <laughs> and he was just like it, this man. He, 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 yeah, this man looked like he was forty. He was a senior, and um, I remember wanting to play dodgeball. So we would have like actual recess at the Christian school, right? Yeah, which and was the uh, best. sorry about the funny trail, but this is this no, is such good. a funny story. 
Uh, so we would have like recess. We'd go out and play dodgeball. And they had those little balls, not not the big dodgeballs, but those like little the ones you can wing rubberized cannonballs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, little rubber cannonballs is what we call them. And so this one time, I'll never forget this day. I don't remember anything about my school life hardly <laughs> in terms of what I learned in the classroom, but I learned a lesson on the field that day. I was kind of trying to like bully the senior for this girl. It's just like, yeah, I'm not scared of these seniors. I'm only like seventh grade. This man hit me with that ball so hard in the face. It physically shot me backwards. Um, (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not even kidding. I, I, I was there and I was doing decent. And then all of a sudden I threw my last ball and I didn't have any around me and someone was getting ready to throw and hit me. And Tyler literally just, he just did this alpha move where this person was about to throw the ball. He's like, no, he's mine. Just like stopped their arm before they could throw and hit me with the ball. (laughs) And I'm just like, hit me. Hit me, Tyler. I'm ducking. I'm weaving. I'm, I have no balls on my side. This guy, I don't know what was in his cereal that morning, <laughs> but he he ate his Wheaties because he hit me with that ball so hard. Like I said, it physically knocked me on my back. It's like my feet went into the air. I didn't just like fall on my butt and then lay down. It physically hit me so hard in the face. I, it, it, I, I, I couldn't feel my face. Wow. I thought my nose was broken. It it um, it was a, like a combination of blood and snot that was just running down me because of just it was it was pinpoint accuracy. And so, uh, but anyway, a, a lot of it was just rebellion. A lot of it was fights. By fifteen years old, and this is where this was getting. By fifteen years old, uh, my mom was also mentally insane, and okay. she'd been this way for a while. Uh, schizophrenic paranoia as well as demonic possession and i say possession and i do not say that lightly uh there are some people who look for a devil under every single rock and behind every single corner yeah when i say demonic possession i i know what it is and there's a difference between demonic oppression yeah and demonic possession oppression is on and around possession is in and controlled and so there there was my mom was definitely possessed and uh, a lot of bad things happened. Uh, but anyway, it led to a point where during my homeschooling life, I actually started living with my pastor. He yeah. took me in as one of those 50 people in period of 25 years. Uh, he, he took me in. And so as I was living there, this is where we talk about the friend zone on how I escaped it. Um, while I was living there, if I could, I've had feelings for, for this girl for like, where, yeah. It, was your dad around or was your dad not around? Because I haven't heard you say anything about No, my dad was, but he, yeah, my dad is, he, he's my best friend in terms of, uh, in terms of that. He was, he was always, he was always there for me when he needed to be, but he was not always there. Um, oh, okay. My parents weren't divorced or anything like that during my childhood. Uh, it was, Strictly, my dad was a hard, hard worker and a hard, hard studier. Yeah. And so he worked a welding job at a uh, literally like welding semis. 
Oh wow! And so he was not in the yeah he was not in the picture a lot uh, from the perspective of he'd pretty much get up for work at about three a.m. Yeah, he'd leave the house at about four a.m. He'd eat his breakfast and just kind of get awake for the drive because he had to drive for about an hour away from the house to go to work. He'd get to the parking lot. He'd leave at four. He'd get to the parking lot at five. He'd sleep for an hour. Uh, before he went in at six, this was just his routine. Yeah, and he would not get off work until about four in the afternoon, which would put him getting home about five in the afternoon. Yeah. By the time he gets home, he he goes in, he showers, and then he'll go and he'll do his Bible study and prayer. Sometimes he'll invite me in for that uh, occasionally, or he may, under rare circumstances, watch a movie with me or something like that. But he was in bed by eight o'clock because he's only so he'd get home at like six and I'd have like an hour after he gets out of the shower and does his prayer and Bible study stuff. I'd have maybe like an hour of his time before he was in bed. Yeah. And so this was just his his routine. And so during my homeschooling life, I needed someone who could actually homeschool me that wasn't crazy and also wasn't gone. Yeah. So this is when my past. This is when my pastor took me in. There's a lot more to that that craziness. Uh, my mom had me in hospitals, living there for months on end because she was convinced the nurses were going to try and kill my grandma. Uh, this this is actually the moment my pastor took me in is when I was in a ho- single hospital waiting room for three months straight. What the hell? Uh, That's crazy. Yeah. So how basically how my mom would not there? leave my grandma. Oh, okay. I ate lunch food. Uh, I lunched the cafeteria, breakfast at the cafeteria, uh, supper at the cafeteria. I lost a lot of weight while I was there because sometimes I just wouldn't go and eat. And my mom didn't really take care of me. Yeah. Uh, I would shower using the sinks, and I'm, I'd maybe do that a couple, a uh, couple times every other week. Um, this is where I actually got into a heavy addiction of pornography as well at this time in my life. Oh, wow. Uh, basically, I was, in the, I was in the waiting rooms, and I didn't have anything to do. I had a PSP, and I, yeah. I was making friends with this guy. And it, it, his, My grandma was in the hospital. His mom was in the hospital. I'm making friends with him. He asked me to play, and I'm just like, yeah, you can play my PSP. Here you go. I was a nice guy. Yeah. I'm like, hey, I'm going to run to the bathroom really quick. I'll be right back. I come back. Dog's gone. My PSP's gone. A PlayStation oh, Portable, and I, and I, I literally, I made the hospital security that day, like, I, I treated it like someone just murdered my dog. Uh, it, it, I, I went around and I'm like, so he told me his mom was in this room, and I went and found the room to see if I could find it. Like I hunted this old grown <laughs> man, and I wasn't sure, I wasn't sure what I was going to do when I found him. Yeah. But I hunted him. I told the security, I'm like, what are you guys going to do about this? Yeah. I was so mad. But uh, because of that PSP getting taken, I no longer had a source of entertainment for these months. And so I started playing games on the hospital computers. And games led me to ads. And ads led me to click, or it, it, which led me to click those ads. Yeah. And those ads took me to porn- pornographic sites. And once I tasted it, I couldn't get enough. Yeah. And so uh, 
one time this uh, this other guy literally like walked in and caught me uh just on there and it, it was a really bad problem and so uh i'm there for three months finally my dad actually gets sick of it he calls the cops on my mom right. uh, and i i swear for those who are listening to this this is not <laughs> uh I, I have never been on jerry springer um but this is just <laughs> this my my life was just kind of special and so my dad calls the cops and basically says listen i don't care if i have to quit my job if we lose lose the house i'm i'm getting you out of there yeah and so the cops show up and basically command my mom take him home or we take you to jail like that that these are your choices take yeah. him to his father or we take you to jail we were in a hospital that was uh, two hours away from my house. And so the entire two hour ride home that my mom was commanded, my mom was screaming at me, uh, your grandma's going to die and it's going to be your fault because I'm not there to protect them. Oh, Basically wow. blaming everything on you. So yeah, everything on me. Grandma was going to be dead by the time she got back and it was my fault. When we're nearing the house, she actually tells me, uh, get out of the vehicle, but I'm not, you want, you want to go home so bad, get out of the vehicle, but I'm not stopping. And so we're, we're nearing the house. She turns the curve. She's not slowing. She's like, get out, get out, get out. So I jumped out of the moving vehicle in order to, uh, and I rolled on the ground a couple of times in order to actually get home, uh, and escape. So during that, uh, I still loved my grandma and I wanted to be there for her. And so Maybe two weeks pass, and my dad and I go up and visit. The same day we're there, my pastor was there. Yeah. And while we're there at the hospital, uh, my pastor makes an arrangement with my dad, and I go home with my pastor that day. And then that weekend, I go and get some stuff. So all that to say, this is how uh, things started to break between my wife and I, or my, well, the pastor's daughter and I, not yet my wife. She knew <laughs> yeah. I liked her and she did not care at all. Um, she was not while, interested. While I lived there, no, 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 no. While I was there, she, uh, she grew a little closer to me. We became actually pretty good friends and she still would tell me, you don't, we're friends, but you don't have a prayer with me. Uh, <laughs> I lived there until I was 18, but when I was 17 years old, uh, I basically, I remember waking up one day and I really, I, I know with everything in me, God spoke to me. Yeah. And he told me, she's going to be your wife. And this is literally wow. early in the morning. I'm just laying there. It was kind of like a, a holy sleep paralysis. Like anyone who's experienced sleep paralysis, like it can be a really scary thing, but yeah. it was the opposite. It was like I couldn't move and it was my heart was pounding in my chest, but I still I felt peace. It was like peace itself entered the room. Yeah. And I remember the spirit speaking to me, she's going to be your wife. I immediately got out of bed after that experience and I walked down the hall forward her bedroom and I knocked on her door and it's in the morning. And so she's literally, she gets out of bed to come and answer the door. <laughs> she's like, what? Uh, 
because we did we did paper route and so yeah. we got up i got i got up at like five in the morning to go with them on paper route because pastors like if you're gonna live here you gotta do chores and so yeah <laughs> <laughs> so paper route was the chore rubber banding all the pa- newspapers and all that crap yeah and uh so I had woke her up from this and I knocked on her door and I literally looked her in the eye and I said, God just told me you are going to be my wife without missing a beat. She looks at me and says, well, he hasn't told me that slams the door in my face. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was a hard road. It took everything within me not to look at her on our wedding day and just like, told you, uh, <laughs> But no, she, uh, when we moved, it was like a year later that she actually started to show interest in me. And I think yeah. it's primarily because I was very immature and I was very rebellious yeah. and I had a lot of, I, I had a lot of growing I needed to do yeah. not only in maturity, but also spiritual maturity. Yeah. And I started to grow between 17 and 18. Yeah. And, uh, as that happened, this is what caught her attention the most is that my spiritual maturity and my maturity started getting on her level. Cause she's always been like massively mature for her age. <laughs> and so, um, we, we made a pact that while we're under the same roof, so we don't bring down any unnecessary problems on pastors church while we're living under the same roof, we will not date. Um, and so, cause you, you can just imagine, like just imagine, church leadership imagine imagine church congregation they find out that boyfriend and girlfriend are living in the same house and, it, and it's the pastor's house yeah how well do you think that is going to go uh, too well <laughs> and so we realize that because we understand church politics very well and so um we decided we weren't going to date but when I was 18, pastor came to me and basically said, hey, and th- I guarantee this is probably about to lead into your next question. <laughs> um, pastor's like, hey, I'm transitioning churches, and yeah. we are going to move to Tifton, Georgia, and take a church. And he basically looked at me, you've lived with us for three years. Do you want to come with us? And because I was holding on to what God told me about her being my wife, now we didn't. It's not like we didn't have problems within our not relationship. Uh, There's definitely some bumps and stuff like that. But yeah. because I knew what God told me, I said yes. And so I moved with them to Tifton, Georgia, and it was there that I actually became a youth pastor. Uh, wow. I, I describe it. It's people always ask me the question. Please tell me when were you called into the ministry? And I tell them very distinctly. I was not called into the ministry. I was pushed. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) There was no calling with a choice. It was, I was shoved. Um, So yeah, please, I want you to talk now. I've talked too far too long. No, you're, (laughs) you're doing awesome. Um, So man, that's a lot. (laughs) That's a lot to unpackage. Um, He's like notes, notes. So, yeah, like, so with your, with your dad, are you, do you guys still have a relationship? And what about your mom? Is she still around too? Or like, how's that look? Nope. When I left Georgia, 
Sorry, I'm eating a cookie. You're um, right. <laughs> when I left Georgia, or when I left Indiana and went to Georgia, that was pretty much the cutoff of my mom and I's relationship. Oh, it's okay. not that I have not forgiven her for what she has done. It's that I cannot have a conversation with the woman. Yeah. Um, it's literally an impossibility. That there were times sense. my mom, there were times my mom and I got into physical altercations as well. Um, th- this this was really interesting. I remember when I was actually seventeen before I moved to Tifton, Georgia. I agreed that since I was leaving my father and mother, I'm going to go brave it. I'm going to spend some. I'm going to spend those weeks with my father, uh, like the last couple of weeks. Yeah. While I was there, my mom was having a demonic episode, and she came in um, in the middle of the night, and she was she she was listening to the radio, and I'm not talking like, "Hey, it's going to be sunny in Logansport." It was like the radio was giving her secret messages. And the oh. DJ was, the DJ was in love with my mom, quote unquote. <laughs> and the DJ was in love with her, and he was giving her secret messages of how, like, sexual things that he wanted to do with her, and stuff like this. And but also warning her because my mom sees herself as a prophetess of God, and her word is the word in the house. And so, if you challenged her word, even if it was was with scripture. She's like, no, I am God's prophetess. Uh, my mom literally read my Bible more than anyone I've ever known in my life. Yeah. But she's like, I'm God's prophetess, and you will not usurp my authority. She'd say that to my dad. She'd say that to me. And so one night during these weeks before I move, I'm at home, and I'm laying in bed. It's about four in the morning. My mom comes in, and she turns the radio on. And I'm just like, okay, if you just lay here still and she thinks you're asleep, she'll leave you alone. <laughs> you will not have to talk to her. So she's just walking and she's pacing in my room. And then I hear her, I'm, I'm, I'm awake, but I just, it, it's darkness. The radio is on ever so slightly and she's just pacing in my room, whispering to herself. And she's saying, they're not going to get him. They're not going to get you. I won't let them get you. I won't let them get you. And comes to a point where she gets on the bed with me. And she grabs my feet and starts cradling them and rocking, saying, I won't let them hurt my baby. I won't let them hurt my baby. They're going to kill you. They're going to kill you. I won't let them kill you. At this point, the spirit of God rose up in me. Yeah, and I just I sat up and I said, "Get out!" She starts flailing on me and beating me like a gorilla, yeah. literally like if you've seen Tarzan. <laughs> yeah, this is this is what was happening, and I immediately I grab her hands, and I and I scream at the top of my lungs and with all the authority that I possess in faith through Christ, be silent. Immediately when I said that, she shut up. Yeah. She didn't say a single thing, and I'm holding her hands. And all of a sudden, and, and this is the strangest thing, all of a sudden, I, 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 I truly believe that either an angel came in the room with me or 
Jesus himself in some representation from the perspective of that demon bowed. I not only said be silent, but when I grabbed her hands and I let her go, my mom hit the floor and bowed like she was on, on her knees before a greater authority. And she did not speak the rest of the night. Um, wow. But I also, I did not go back to bed. I immediately after that, I called the pastor and I'm like, so I was going to stay like two weeks with my parents just to kind of, you know, be here a little longer before I moved to Georgia. I've only been here like four nights. I'm going to come back. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're not going to do this whole two week thing. And so I just, <laughs> I went back and a couple weeks later we moved. Wow. And so does your dad still live with your mom? No. So they eventually did get divorced because my dad couldn't take it anymore. My dad was also a credentialed uh, or a licensed minister yeah. in the Church of God. He was not a lead. He was not a lead pastor. He was not over a church or anything. Yeah. He was an assistant pastor at some point, and he his primary ministry was juvenile detention ministry. Yeah. So he would actually go into juvenile centers, and he'd also do prison ministry. He'd go into high security prisons, and he'd preach the gospel in there. And so, um, eventually he just couldn't take it anymore and he divorced my mom. Yeah. When, when he divorced my mom, regardless of the circumstances, uh, the church, he had to give up his ministerial credentials. Yeah. And so that, that really broke him at a certain point. And, uh, when I moved to Tifton, it was maybe two years later, if that he followed me. And he started going to church with me and uh, all, all these different things. Now, even when I was living with Pastor, he would like pick me up yeah. for uh, Taco Bell on Saturdays. It was yeah. it was our thing. We, we would <laughs> pick me up Saturdays. We'd yeah. go to Taco Bell and hit a ton of pawn shops, and he'd like buy me used stuff, and it was yeah. great. It was the best thing ever. And so I'd get used video games, used used consoles. They replaced my PSP at one point. Um, so. All, all of these things, and that was kind of the relationship. But when I moved to Tifton, yeah, he actually he followed a couple of years later. That's cool. So, all right, so that's pretty awesome. So now you're a youth pastor in Florida, and at some point in Georgia, I'm assuming you and your wife started to date. Yes, correct. So uh, shortly after we moved to Georgia. I actually moved in with a lady from the church. Uh, so there was like a, this older lady. Yeah. And she really needed, she really needed help around the house. And so they're like, Hey, uh, it, it, it wasn't like physical care. It wasn't like physical therapy or anything like that. She just, she lived alone Yeah, and she, uh, She'd encountered, I think, uh, maybe a year prior or something like that, where someone actually tried to rob her, yeah. like burgl burglary. Yeah. And so she didn't feel safe and stuff like this. And so I moved in with her. When I moved in with her and I was out from under the same roof, we began to date. Awesome. Yep. So um, the ministry thing, I was there for a couple years. I was helping with the youth. So they already had a youth pastor in place yeah. uh, when we went to this church. And I just started, I was like a youth volunteer. 
And basically what ended up happening was literally out of the blue random we're there for two years and I get a call on a Wednesday night. It's like 6 p.m. And I get service starts at seven and I get a call and it's the youth pastor. Yeah. And I answer it. I'm like, Hey, what's up? And, uh, she's just without missing a beat. Tonight is my last night as the youth pastor. You're the new youth pastor. I'll discuss it with pastor when I arrive. Were you like, what? Uh, (laughs) That was, that was, that was very much my response. Um, I was, I said, uh, excuse me, I'm, I'm what faith. Let's talk about this. What's, what's going on. And, yeah. uh, she's just like, Nope, I just can't do it anymore. So we'll talk tonight. We'll talk after just, I don't want to talk over the phone. I'm like, okay, that's, that's uh, uh, okay. Um, and I immediately, I went and told pastor Rick or, or not pastor Rick. I'm sorry. Uh, pastor Rick is my pastor now, oh. but I, I immediately <laughs> went and told my father-in-law. Yeah, and he's just like she didn't run this by me, and I'm like she didn't run this by me. She just told me. But if this is her feelings, and you can't talk her out of it, do you want me to take this position? Yeah. He's like, if worse comes, if worse comes to worse, then yeah, that's fine. Yeah, uh, and it wasn't a paid position; it was completely volunteer. Yeah, and so it wasn't like a staff needed to be approved thing. And uh, I was I was mature enough to do this at this point. And so, I, even though I was mature enough, I still wasn't ready. <laughs> yeah. But God, God blessed it. That night she came in. She announced her resignation. The youth had their cry moments. Some girls that had been with her since they were little kids freaked out. Like, he's a, he's a guy. We've never had a guy youth leader. He's not going to be able to identify with our needs. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I don't. I, I don't carry tampons with me or anything. You're right. I'm sorry. Um, but no, I didn't say that. <laughs> this, this was just, uh, it kind of threw me into a, a loop. I, even that night I walked down the hall with one of the girls and she is trashing me in the bathroom. <laughs> and I, I'm just like standing against the wall, leaning against the wall. And, uh, the bathroom is a very echoey place. And so you can hear everything in the hallway and I'm just kind of standing there. Cause I was just going to check and make sure everything was all right. Trying yeah. to be a, be a proactive youth pastor. And so I'm standing down there and she's just trashing me. She walks out of the bathroom. She sees that I'm looking at, she, she sees that I heard everything she said. And she just looks at me and she says, you think I care? <laughs> and she walks on. <laughs> But uh, she actually became one of my strongest students and one of my strongest supporters. Awesome. Um, she actually she recently got married and invited me to her wedding. And she's like, you would be doing my wedding if uh, my fiance didn't already ask his his Youth fire, 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 fireman chaplain. Oh. Actually. <laughs> he, he was he was a he was a firefighter and his firefighter chaplain performed his wedding. But oh, uh, awesome. she, yeah, she became. She became and still is one of one of one of my really good friends, uh, even when I was in youth group. And so, but yeah, I took the youth group and I did it for about uh, three years in Tifton. Yeah. Until uh, God called us somewhere else, and God blessed it. We were running 
when the previous youth pastor was over, we were running about five to eight just in terms of bodies present. Yeah. And in one summer, so literally I took it at the beginning of the summer. In one summer, we started running our, our top number was like 35. Yeah. And it was That's primarily because of one kid. It was primarily because of one kid. And this yeah. is something I try to, this is something I try to instill in youth pastors. I'm like, listen, you do not need every single kid to invite a friend. Yeah. You need the ones that are the ones that are willing to be discipled. Yeah. The, the faith, the faithful few, the ones that are there for the right reasons, yeah. you need to pour into them and you need to train them and you need to encourage them that as they're on fire for God to invite their friends, invite people in their communities, invite yeah. people in their circles. Because I'm telling you, my youth group blew up because of one single kid. Yeah. There was, there was a kid who was coming and his name was Drake and he was not a church going kid, but he came a couple times. God shattered him. I mean, just <laughs> shattered him. Yeah. And he started inviting his friends. He invited his best friend. He invited some other friends. He invited, they started coming. They started inviting their girlfriends. Yeah. Their girlfriends started coming and it, it just creates this, just like a, 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 a domino effect or a ripple effect. Just yeah. this one drop in your ministry, yeah. and you can see it explode, uh, and that that's what happened. And so, like I said, I was there for about three years until uh, my wife and my wife was the worship pastor at the church as well. And uh, then we got we got married while we were there. We were, I was still doing the youth ministry, and eventually God called us elsewhere. And then, and that's why I'm in Florida. Did your father-in-law pass away like a, shortly after you guys left or how'd that happen? Yeah. It was maybe a couple of years after we left Tifton that he actually passed away. Was it kind uh, of a freak thing or did you guys kind of know this should possibly happen? It was, it was cancer that kept returning and then eventually he was in the ICU and they sent him home. Yeah. And that's never good. Yeah. So, um, we didn't know it was going to escalate as fast as it did, but we were still, we were prepared for the possibility. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, what's yeah. interesting about you saying that is there's like one kid in the youth group that you really got to figure out which one is on fire for God and like really dig deep and disciple those guys. Um, one thing that yeah, I look, think what, about, look what look what twelve disciples did is kind of the 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 way I look at it. Yeah, Jesus took twelve men, and it's it's produced billions of Christians. Yeah, for sure. Give, I don't need a youth group of thirty five on fire for God. I would love that. My gosh, I'd love that. But we have to be realistic. Yeah. In terms, of, we we have to be realistic with the goals and the motivations that we set. Yeah. And so. Where I, I will, I will always believe God for the thirty-five, or, or to be on fire for Him. That's not where my expectation necessarily lies. I want to find the ones that are faithful and are faithful without my prodding, without my necessarily like, "Hey, come to church, come to church, hey, come to the altar." Yeah. The people, the kids that are going and praying for people without <laughs> being called to, so to speak. Yeah. And you, yeah, you find those kids you can turn your youth group upside down in, in 
well, a matter of months. What's interesting is you said that, and I was like, huh, I was that kid. Because I was like, in our youth group for our church, I love church. So I was I was always about it, always always going to it. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, well, uh, God, where do you want me to to go and like this stuff and our church uh, had merged with another church and I was supposed to be going to youth group, but at this new church, it was a different age. So I was supposed to go at like 12 and then all of a sudden they're like, no, 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 no. At our church, we go at 13. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This has been like the pinnacle of what I wanted to do as youth group. Like that's the coolest thing I ever saw was youth group was the coolest. And so when I first started going, there was a different youth pastor and it was, it was pretty good, but like I went to a couple, uh, church events and all of a sudden God just got a hold of me in that. And I was like, huh, this is awesome. Like God is so, so real to me in this moment. And so from there, I, I just take off, like just chasing after God, like trying to figure out what God says about me and all this stuff. And a lot of stuff, like, I I come from, like, because I, I, I don't know if you know who Andrew Apologetics, I think, is his name or something on TikTok. I have, I have no idea who that is. Actually. Oh, okay. So he talks no. about... Uh, <laughs> no, I, I was like, oh, I know okay. I, Yeah, no, no, no. I know, I know Andrew really well. And so, like, me and him kind of... Like, I didn't come from the oneness part of... Uh, the Pentecostal stuff. Did you do one lap around your house? <laughs> no. Because it I looks like you're my... in the same spot. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I went I went to my – I was trying to be discreet. No, I, uh, I went to my fridge and got a drink and took the laptop with me. That's so, so... <laughs> I was like, you ended up in the same spot. It looked like you did a whole lap yeah. and ended up back there. Um yeah, so, that's just that's the illusion of going from one room to the other and then back. <laughs> yeah, and so me and him were talking, and I'm like, huh, I kind of did go to a Pentecostal church. Like, they didn't talk about oneness. They talked about the Trinity in the, the Pentecostal church I went to. But it was, yeah. like, some of the things we talked about, like, uh, having the Holy Spirit, you have to speak in tongues and stuff like that was taught. And so... I was like, oh, okay, like, wow, that makes more sense because, but I really pushed against that stuff. Like, there's certain things I'm like, mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> like, people would get upset with me and my, my best friend, but I remember we got new youth pastors that were like the pastor's kid who she was like 30-something whenever she, she came on as a youth pastor, her and her husband. And I was like, man, because I really like the other youth pastor, but they're like, Hey, we're going to let you go. Cause we want them. And I was like, that sucks. Cause I knew all the backstory. Cause my uncle was like the associate pastor. So I knew all the church kind of ongoings and stuff because I was kind of like a PK kid. Cause my grandparents owned a church and then my uncle and aunt took over it. And so they knew who we were like, they're like, Oh, it's one of the guys kids, blah, blah, blah. And so, um, I kind of was a roundabout way of a PK kid. And so, um, like with that, I just, I was like, oh, okay. And, uh, like we started going to youth group, but the pastor 
like the the now youth pastors were like, oh, we're we're really important to this one kid, who we think he's like gonna bring everyone, and like I that's kind of their attitude, and like yep. he never brought anybody, and so I went for probably a year straight not inviting anybody, just because I was put off by like their attitudes about things. And God yeah. was like, why aren't you bringing people to church? And I was like, well, I don't know. These guys are jerks. And so, like, I felt convicted just from God. Like, well, if you want your friends to know about me, you probably should tell them about me more. And you should probably bring them with you to learn more. And I'm like, fine. And so, me and my best friend now, um, we're in the school bus coming from a loss in football. And, like, we're both. Uh, starters and in, in high school football, and uh, we're sitting in the bus, and this crazy light like goes across the sky, and I'm like, oh, that's weird. I wonder if that was like how Jesus would come back or the rapture. Would it be all crazy like that? And he goes, what are you talking about? And I go, <laughs> oh shoot, yeah, I forgot. You're an atheist. <laughs> like in my head, I was like, oh no. And my, I go, and I go, well, my bad, dog. <laughs> so I'm like, so I kind of explained some of it. I was like, I don't know how that's going to look or how it is. But like, this is kind of what the Bible says about that kind of stuff. And he goes, Oh, okay. Yeah. So you go to church. I go, yeah. And he goes, oh, good, good, good. So can I go to church with you? And I'm like, yeah, man, let's go to church. And so he goes that first week, get saved at youth group. And then from there, like I just start inviting tons of people and like, I like, like you said, it's just kind of one of those things that if one guy gets it or one girl gets it, it just goes. And so I probably invited like 50 people and like they invited their friends because I was like, this is awesome. We go after, after youth, we go eat at IHOP. And then our initiation that I started is you have to eat a spoonful of Tabasco sauce. Let's do it. And like everybody would do it. And like, it's, it's the dumbest thing ever, but we had such (laughs) a good time and like, yeah, I was exactly. Back, it, like, hey, they never poured into like our friend group. They'd only pour into that like one kid that he'd invite like a friend or two. But I'm like, I was the one bringing like herds of people there all the time. And I'm like, huh, they never talked to me or Andrew, who me and him always were inviting people. And I'm like, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, as a youth pastor, you have to be really careful. Because yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you the truth. P- sometimes people who are youth pastors could have also been the outcast when they were a kid at that yeah. age. And I'm, I'm telling you, what can happen if you're not careful is if maybe you weren't the popular kid yeah. in terms of school, in terms of high school. What you can do, whether you realize it or not, subconsciously, what you can do is as a youth pastor – there are cliques that are represented within your youth group. Should there Always. be cliques in church? Yeah. No. But are there cliques? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Youth group, youth group is no different than high school. Yeah. And so what you have in that is if you're not careful as a youth pastor, you can actually try and relive your childhood memories and make yourself popular among the popular kids. Yeah. And, and that, that's really, really, really dangerous. Is yeah. it like you're you're seeking the validation that you did not get when you were a high schooler, and yeah. so especially if like you're a young youth pastor, you're seeking the validation you didn't get when you were a high schooler of the popularity that you wanted and desired, yeah. and so you can kind of focus on one group of kids, 
and just be like, okay, this is my click. And then the youth, this is where the youth pastor shows favoritism and favoritism within a youth group. There is nothing in the world that youth can recognize more than favoritism. Yeah, for sure. Like they, they will see it a (laughs) mile away because you don't see it. You're like, no, I'm a youth pastor. I love all my kids. Right. Yeah. And you may actually love all your kids. That's fine. Yeah. But you also can show favoritism, but here's the thing. I'll be real with people. Um, I am okay with showing a shade of favoritism. What I mean by that is this. If you are a kid that is there for the right reasons, you yeah. are a kid that you are inviting people to church. You are calling me when you are in need of help. You are asking questions. And mm-hmm. the relationship is happening two ways. Because yeah. that's what happens to the youth pastor a lot of times is you're, the relationship is only one-way relationship. It's like the youth pastor, I want a relationship with you, but then they never, ever, ever talk to you throughout the, throughout the week. Yeah. Yeah, they never talk to you throughout the week or anything. And so they're only there. You get you see them a couple hours a day. And if you're showing favoritism to those kids, yeah, then you're you're just you're you're in a trap of your own making. Yeah. But I will show a, a shade of favoritism to the kids that are doing the right thing. I will honor them. So if a kid looks at me and says Hey man, why why don't you uh, ever take me out to eat or something like that? I'm like, well, yeah, we can we can go out to eat, but yeah. I want to, I want you to approach me about that. Yeah. The the kid the kid over here that is actually they're here for the right reasons and they're doing everything because uh, so for example, um, I will pour into the life, and this is just this is kind of who I am. There's always like this one kid or this group of kids within youth ministry where they are, they feel like the outcast yeah, or they're just, they're the bad kid, right? They're the bad boy. They're the bad girl. And my heart reaches out to them because a lot of the times the bad boy or the bad girl is usually the alpha of the youth ministry to an extent. Uh, they're the alpha of the youth ministry. What does that say? It means that they are a leader and they have untapped potential. Yeah. And so I will definitely, I will go after that kid. I, I will reach out to that kid because the job of the youth pastor is to make you recognize your potential. Not only, so obviously, yes, there's the foundational things of being saved and there's the foundational things of building a relationship with Christ and all of this absolutely well and good. But really what the youth pastor is there for after that is to show you what your potential is and show you how to tap into it. And so I'll reach out to that kid who's broken. I'll reach out to that kid who is, who, who is hurting or who thinks they need to hide behind a popularity who thinks they've lost their self-worth, whatever it is, that is, that is absolutely my job to reach out to the broken yeah. and also reach out to the leaders within the group and help them tap into their potential. But if you're a kid that's already kind of tapped into that potential and you're a leader and you're already leading people to church and you're leading people to Christ and, and you're, you're faithful in, uh, in your daily walk with Christ, then yes, do not 
necessarily say that I'm not going to give a shade of favoritism. And, and what I mean by a shade of favoritism when I say that is I'm going to honor you in more ways. I'm, I'm going to show you uh, not necessarily more respect by any means, but I am going to give you opportunities that I may not give to other students first. Yeah, It's still like in, in the going out to eat thing, if we're just using that as an example, if I'm trying to reach out to a kid, I'll invite them out to eat and, and yeah. just try it because there, There's no way to build. There, there is no better way to build a relationship than over the table. Yeah. Like it, it is, that is clear biblically across the board. <laughs> if you want to build a relationship with someone, feed them. I, I cannot stress this enough. Yeah. If you want to build a relationship with someone, sit down with them, eat with them. And eating, it becomes spiritual in its own sense. Yeah. There, there, There is something so powerful, and Jesus taught this. There's something so powerful about breaking bread with people. Yeah. And so, and inviting them to a table. <clears throat> and so I'll reach out to that kid, but I still also want to pour into this leader that is going after God with everything in them. Yeah. And so I may give them opportunities that other kids don't have. Yeah. I, I, I may give them special assignments. I may, I may give them, and like I said, it, it's not like I love them more than this kid over here. That's not what I mean by favoritism. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it is the recognition that I will I, I will do things with this kid that I may not leave open to everyone. So let's oh. say you have one for, – for example, let's say you have one bad kid and you have one, one good kid. The, yeah. the bad kid I, I will still reach out to 100% with all the love, all the respect that I possibly can. But this other kid who's doing everything right, I may be like – Hey man, want to go to Disney World? Uh, and and I, I, I've done that. It yeah. Is when, when I took a trip with my family, there was one kid who was just every time I called this kid, he was there for me. he was there when I needed him. He was like, "Hey man, I, I and he he's he's no longer part of my youth group. He's graduated and he's still in the church and he's serving in ministry because of what was put into him within youth group. He yeah. carried and it, he started ministering in different areas." And so I poured into him, and then now he pours into others through different areas of ministry. But I looked at him and was like, hey, man, you've been so helpful to me. You've been so helpful to this youth group. Let me repay you. My family and I are going to Disney World, and we're going to go to Galaxy's Edge, and I want to take, I want to take you. Yeah. I, I, will take, I will take you with me. That's not, I'm not going to give that same opportunity to – the kid that's doing everything wrong and just apologizes all the time. Uh, I, I, if, if we go like in a group thing, obviously that, that type of kid's yeah. invited, but there is special things that you can do to honor those who are faithful. And, uh, and, so to speak, a worker is worth his wages. Yeah. And psychologically, so, if you are rewarding people who are doing the right acts, like just even thinking like psychologically wise, like outside of everything, like that is going to reinforce that. Hey, I appreciate you, and I want you to keep doing this. So I'm going to reward it's, it's also, you, and it's going to help you to, to to see that I I see you doing good things, and I'm going to reinforce that by giving you 
this big thing to show you that I care and that this is a yeah. fantastic thing. Absolutely. And, and so that honor that I show the kid that is faithful, it is also noticed by those who are unfaithful. Yep. So it, ha- it has dual purpose as well. Yep. It's not just I want to honor you, but I also I know what's going to happen when I do honor you. Yeah. Uh, unless we keep it just, hey, no, <laughs> never tell anyone this. And sometimes you can do that. Sometimes yeah. you can be like, listen, if I t- <laughs> don't don't tell. <laughs> but uh, if I do, if I if I if I do something with you and I say, uh, yeah, you can tell people it's fine. People in the other in, in the youth group will be like, huh? Well, why didn't I get to do this? Yeah. And, and subconsciously, it does something there too. Yeah. Psycho- psychologically, it makes them say, okay, so if I rise to a standard, then yeah. I will be honored for rising to that standard. Yeah. It, it, it's uh, the best example of this is like in giving, right? So if we say, okay, here's our goal for the youth group, and you have this one kid that gives $500 and he gives like $20 from each paycheck. And then yeah. you have this other kid that only gives ten dollars. I'm thankful for your ten, but I'm going to honor the one who gave five hundred with a greater reward. Yeah. And so, and when you see that greater reward and what's in store, maybe just maybe it'll make you it it, it, it may be driving you for the wrong reason. Yeah. It may be like, oh man, I'm going to do better just so I can go to Galaxy's Edge or whatever. Yeah. No, no, no. It may drive you for the wrong reason. But ultimately, I am confident that in the same way I was saved, even though I was I was saved through fear of hell. And like I said, that relationship transformed it into an excitement for heaven. Yeah. And I think what people people listening even right now and like I get what you're saying. But just for our listeners, um, you're not saying like, oh, there's some broke kid (laughs) who he can only afford ten dollars. And so screw him. But no, you're no, saying no, no. more of a kid who's like, hey, I have a job. I'm doing all this stuff just the same as that guy, but I'm just going to give you $10 because that's all I want to do. And then this other kid exactly. doing the same exact jobs, like, hey, I'm giving you 30% of what I get paid <laughs> or whatever yeah. to help yeah. get to this trip or this accomplishment done. And so. Um, yeah, exactly right. Thank you for making that clarification. Yeah, <laughs> just just in case yeah, one I, of our I, listeners was like, uh, yeah, if that's what? all you have, like, like yeah. if a kid if a kid does the same thing that the widow did, yeah, or, that the old lady did when she came forward and she gave all that she had, yeah. right? If a kid comes up to the stage and all he has is a dollar in his wallet, and he opens his wallet and that's all that's in there, and he throws that in, yeah, that's amazing. That's yeah. that's that's incredible. Well, I so, like, what's funny is you mentioned that story. Uh, was it was it Paul who went to the lady who had oil and a little bit of flour and was like, "Hey, give me that so I can eat or whatever." Was it Paul or who was it? No, that was Elijah. Elijah, and like yeah, that, somebody that was old. That was old Testament. Oh yeah, he, he's forgot. like yeah, yeah. And no, so no, no, you're fine. And so I was thinking about that because oh, maybe there's a guy named Paul who talked about that. But um, so what's funny about that is they're like. What a jerk. That's all she had left. Like, and you're going up to her like, hey man, like I I know that's your last bit and you're gonna die, but like I yeah. need that. And the, like, have you ever thought of that? Like but she totally was like, okay, and like does it. 
And he's like, I don't know. If somebody came to me, I'd be like, really? There's other people out here. You can ask yeah. one of them. Why are you asking me? And like, I just think that's a funny story or a funny way to put it. But, um, oh yeah. So I think we're getting pretty close to the end of this podcast. Um, one thing that I, I really, uh, just want to say, I appreciate about you is how honest you were whenever me and you talked. And I, I hope you don't mind me kind of touching on no, this because I think you're going to do a YouTube or something on it, but how, how much you were like, man, I, cause you did a debate with Mike and you're like, ah, you know, I wasn't writing this. And I was like, I appreciated the crap out of that, that you owned your part of like, ah, oh, I was, I was not correct. in maybe my attitude, my pursuit of this, uh, cause you, you used to do a ton of debates and I, I like watching debates. Like I don't do debates cause yeah. I'm more of the type that if I know the truth, then I'm going to just say what it is. And then I'll just be like, I don't care what you say now. (laughs) This is the truth and you can't change my mind about it. So I'm not going to keep arguing with you. This is it. And there you go. See you later. And so, but like you were very much so like, Hey, I did say the truth, but I wasn't right in saying some of the truth because I had an attitude just like he had. I was no different in certain aspects of it. Yeah. People were cheering me on saying like I won, but like, did I, I didn't feel like I won because of my attitude. And I was like, yeah, I I took him to the old Testament instead of the new, I went eye for eye and tooth for tooth instead of, um, showing kindness and showing love and showing forgiveness and heaping hot coals on their head that way. Yeah. Uh, and, and that was my, that, that was my mistake. That is that is definitely my humanity. Is I, I was, and I'm I'm not trying to say this in any insulting way, but I was engaged with ignorance, yeah. and ignorance got me frustrated. And the situation that caused the debate in the first place had me frustrated. And so, when it first happened, I was like, "Man, I'm doing this debate with the sole purpose." of destroying this human being. <laughs> yeah. This, this sure. was my attitude. It's like, and I even called uh, an atheist friend of mine, uh, David Smalley. And I talked to him. I'm like, listen, this atheist is this something. And I know I said I was done with atheist debates, uh, but you know what? We're going into, we're, we're going in. So yeah. um, he's like, well, but why are you doing it for the right reasons? Are you doing it? Cause you really want to understand his position. I'm like, no, I don't, I know what, I know what his position is. <laughs> I, just, I just, I don't need to understand his position. Yeah. Position is cognitively incoherent. That's what his position is. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just like, uh, no, I'm doing this with the, the sole purpose of humiliating this man. That was yeah. the day that I found, found this, this video. And then a couple of days pass and you kind of chill out and cool down and you're like, no, let's just, let's, let's have a good conversation. Let's, yeah. let's get into the topics. Let's discuss why we believe what we believe. And yeah. then we actually get into the debate. And then that <laughs> man from Sunday came back and um, something Mike did, and I'm, I'm going to eventually do a review on my channel of the debate. Well, uh, well, even I'm going to actually break it down an outsider's point of view. I was like, 
to be honest, as all, I don't know if I would have handled it any different than you would have, but I probably have been like, bro, you're stupid. Like <laughs> I, I might yeah. have actually, actually thrown that out there. Like, because he would have pissed me off so much because like, if anybody decides to watch your debate, like I, like he, he purposely is antagonizing and condescending in a, a lot of things. And yes, you did do some and I, things I return, bad. I just returned fire. I, ju- I just returned fire on it. So- and, and I don't know if it's just because like I am, I am a Jesus follower. I, have, I, I am a Christian. I am saved all that stuff that like he pissed me off more. Cause I did see it like what you did. Don't get me wrong. I did see yeah. some of the things you did, but he did it like blatantly bigger, like the whole time. And the, this, yeah, people yeah. who are listening can be like, well, sin, sin. Yes, I get it. But what I'm saying is his attitude was so smug and that smug attitude just pisses me off. Like it doesn't matter who you yeah. are, Christian, yeah. non-Christian, atheist, Buddhist, Muslim. If you have that, like, really smug attitude. I'm like, I just want to hit you. Like I wanted yeah, I, to crawl I, through the screen and smack him. Cause I was like, <laughs> man, bro, you are making me so mad with like his faces and the attitude he was doing it. And like, yeah, he would, he would definitely I, avoid questions and uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've, I've talked to many, many different atheists. I've debated many, many different atheists. Um, I've gotten my butt kicked in some conversations with atheists. Uh, I've gotten utterly annihilated in some yeah. conversations. Um, one, of, one of those conversations is uh, with a really, he, again, just a, he's a good friend now, but his name is Dr. Josh. And we did a conversation on biblical slavery. And I was having technical issues and stuff like that, but I, I just... I totally screwed up on pretty much every every part of the debate, and this guy is a uh, a biblical scholar of ancient uh, ancient history. Yeah, and so um, even though he's an atheist, he w- he was a pastor prior. And oh, really? He's just yeah. He, How he do was, you go from pa- zero to sixty like that? Does he ever say why? Yeah, yeah, he he's he's talked about his his deconversion, so to speak, uh, multiple times. But the yeah, the the whole thing is uh, he he actually has a doctorate. He he's known as Doctor Josh for a reason. Yeah, and he ate me alive, and I'm not I'm not afraid to admit it. Do I think he's right? No, no, no. There's a huge difference. In being yeah. eaten, al- there's a huge difference in being eaten alive in a debate setting in a debate format. Yeah. All it means is that the other person won the debate based off their points and their argumentation. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that their points and their argumentation are correct. Yeah, that is that is the difference. So, <laughs> yeah, ultimately, the one who speaks the truth is the one who wins in the end. Yeah. But uh, so I believe I win every debate I'm in. Yeah, but <laughs> technically, yeah. I mean, so is at the end of the day, we know who, who wins. So <laughs> yeah, but but with Mike, like I said, in, in talking to many different atheists, never had that problem. I've, Mike is just a he's a very arrogant human. Yeah, not just a, he's not just an arrogant atheist. He's just an arrogant human. Yeah, uh, and in the debate, I insulted him. 
without him knowing it. Um, And (laughs) I shouldn't have done it. I looked at him and I said, you're just a walking Dunning-Kruger. And you have him in the video. He nods his head, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Now, for the audience, for those who do not know what a Dunning-Kruger is, and my opponent did not know, all it is, it's calling someone uh, that they are in a mental position where they are massively overestimating their ability to do something. <laughs> and so when I when I said you're just a walking Dunning Kruger when it comes to debating me, he just nods his he just nods his head yes, but he has no idea what it meant. And there's there's multiple times. Here's the thing. I probably and I, I really believe this, I would have been more gentle with him. So in no way was did I cuss at him or anything. I don't cuss at all ever, period. Yeah. Um, I've, I, I've played video games. So one of, one of the things just a quick side story, one of the things I love to do is I love to play video games Yeah. and I have given myself the title of video game missionary. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptize in the name of the father, son, Holy spirit, teach him to obey everything I command you. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Well, I use video games to fulfill the great mission in a, I use the, uh, Oh no! We're starting talk to, to people in different states, sometimes even different countries. My name on my video games. Oh, can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you now. Check, You're check. Good. You're good. Okay, sorry. So I use video games in order to preach the gospel. So in the same way, my TikTok is bought by Blood Three Sixteen. That's the same as my gamer tag, and everyone's. Oh no, we're losing you again. <clears throat> so, John, we can't hear you uh, right now. Oh, there you are. You're back. Check one, two. Yep. Sorry, my internet. Your internet's getting second. wonky. <laughs> so. Sorry, you're like a robot right now. Oh yeah, you. Hello, I can hello? hear you. Yep, I'd hear you. Okay, oh. so. Anyway, um. Oh, can you hear me? Yep, you're good. Okay, cool. So yeah, I, I my gamer tag is something that when you're in a multiplayer game and you're playing with other people, everyone sees. And yeah. everyone in the lobby, they'll be cussing and they'll be carrying on. And then I'll, I'll say something like, Fluffy Bunnies, uh, <laughs> or some, some Christianese cuss word, like, gosh darn it or, or whatever and they notice the fact that i don't cuss yeah and it actually many times opens up conversations uh the fact that i don't and so in this debate i won't i won't cuss in or anything or I, I was just my mannerisms my body language everything was off to how i should have presented myself i should not have fought fire with fire i should have been the water to calm the fire and yeah. that is that is that is the scriptural position, um, but instead I got got really sarcastic and I I got into a place I didn't want to go. Something Mike kept doing. You'll hear this whenever I do more. Oh, John, you're gone again. Something called red. Oh, 
Okay, so we had a technical difficulty. Um, John's back clear again. So the robot John is gone. And so we have normal John back. Um, so uh, you're saying uh, about your username and about not cussing. So go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my username on TikTok is bought by blood, uh, 316, and I use that same thing as my gamer tag. Yeah. And so it causes people to ask questions based off my username alone. Like, Bob, Bob, blood, what does that mean? <laughs> and it opens up opportunities to talk to them. Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of, like I said, I consider myself a video game missionary as a self-appointed title. Yeah. <laughs> to where I can, uh, I can have these conversations and I, I run off a script. So I know if they ask my name, I know what I'm going to say. Yeah. I, I like if, uh, it's going to be a witnessing opportunity. I know if I'm not cussing and they recognize I'm not cussing, eventually, usually 99% of the time, someone asks me like this, this guy said, gosh, darn it. What the heck? Like they're amazed at the fact they're playing with someone who doesn't like drop F bombs every five seconds. Yeah. And then lastly, uh, the, uh, the third thing I'll say is if I want to start a conversation with someone, yeah. If I if I if I want to engage. So the other two options are if they engage me. Yeah. If I want to engage in a conversation with someone uh, and start witnessing to them, I'll usually just immediately say, "Hey, what do you guys do? What do you guys do for work? What do you guys do for a living?" Yeah. And they're they'll tell you. They'll be yeah. like, "Oh, I'm this, I'm this." Very 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 rarely do they just say, "Hey, go away. I don't want I don't want to talk." But they'll usually tell you. But here's here's also what you notice. Through common courtesy, they ask you the same question. Yeah. So, hey, what do you guys do for a living? Oh, I do this. And then just naturally from common courtesy, they'll do? say what? <laughs> oh, funny you should ask. I'm actually a youth pastor. <laughs> and then that begins the whole God conversation one way or another. I've I've had debates on like while playing Rainbow Six Siege on my game before. Are where you, do you someone's play on like, PlayStation or Xbox? That's the question. PlayStation five. Oh, you're spoiled. I play <laughs> still on PlayStation four, but I, I definitely need to find you on there and just add yes, you sir. so we can play. Well <laughs> you've got yeah, you've you've got my you've got my tag for sure. But uh yeah, as I was saying, within within the debate with Mike I'm not cussing. I'm not using any vulgar language. I'm not even using any insults, uh, yeah. except the the Dunning Kruger is the only exception, <laughs> yeah. and the overestimation of ability. Yeah. And primarily, what I was doing though was just body language and bad mannerisms and bad debate tactic as well. He kept throwing out what's called a red herring fallacy, and a red herring is simply a distraction away from the topic. That, yeah. That's all a red herring fallacy is. And he kept wanting to be like, we, we'd be talking about God's omniscience and what God knows. And he'd be yeah. like, but God commanded the death of the Amalekites. Women, men, children. And this is called an appeal to emotion. He's, yeah. making, an, he's making an emotional case. Yeah. But from an atheistic perspective of subjective morality, of all morality is subjective to the person. Yeah. He literally has no ground to stand on. Yeah. And so, and he thinks he does, which, so he lives as if objective morality is true. 
Yeah. But he adheres to subjective morality. Yep. And so in this, he just kept throwing out red herrings. And event, and in the beginning of the debate, if you watch it, you'll see that I'm like, and I'm not saying like you, I know you watched it, but people who are listening to this, yeah. if you watch it on my channel, you'll see that I start out and I, I'm not following the red herrings. I'm not going after them. I know where he wants to go. I know what he's saying. And I just say, nope, let's <laughs> yeah. go back to the topic. I'm not chasing. I'm not chasing a distraction away from the topic. I'm not chasing a red herring. And I say, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. But eventually I get to a point of frustration out of, like I said, just how the debate is going in terms of the contradiction, the walking contradiction that is Mike Brigandi. Yeah. Um, and eventually he starts throwing out red herrings and I start chasing him. This is when the debate goes off the rails a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> when I started, when I started <laughs> allowing him, when I started allowing him to control the conversation, um, and he threw out, I'd say one argument that I actually wasn't prepped for. Um, and, and here's the thing in terms of the debate, I'll give him kudos on that. I know the argument. I know, but I did not prep for the argument. And so he, he did get me on one thing where I just, I had to look up some sources and I couldn't find it. And there was some pause moments and stuff like that. But uh, other, other than that, as I said in my even comment section on, on, on my debate, it was a decisive win. But it's also, as you said, it's a loss because of how I portrayed uh, my Christian faith and how I portrayed my, I, I mean, Christianity in general, and just like I should not have debated the way that I debated this. Yeah. So, and, and I mean, we all do that. <laughs> we all have, have those moments and yeah. mistakes and like, um, something I do be human though. <laughs> so I think like, like I said, this is probably the perfect time to, to end the podcast and I, I appreciate you being on and, and uh, oh, really, kinda, really quick, go ahead. really quick. Can I, can I say this? Uh, I, I do want to make sure uh, I did after realizing how much of a punk I was during the podcast as a Christian and uh, as a representation of a Christian that I actually did. I was convicted enough from the Holy <laughs> spirit that I actually did message Mike and I gave him and a legit apology. Yeah. Um, and I'm probably going to do it again. I have, uh, when I'm, when I make a TikTok video, I'm going to do a public apology. Um, yeah. so this, this is something that I did try and rectify. It's a recognition of, that your actions are bad and then it's up to you whether or not you do something about it. So the Bible says this, it says to him who knows to do right and does not do it, it is sin. And this is an amazing verse when you really think about it. Sin primarily is action. But in this verse, we get a recognition that sin is not just action. Sin is also inaction. Yeah. And that's, that's powerful. So, yes, it is. That's all I want to say. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. Um, that, yeah, that's perfect because I, I almost forgot to even <laughs> add that, that you were like, hey, I did apologize and made try to make things right um but this is a part of the podcast i don't know if you've listened to our podcast ever but this is where we ask our guests to pray us out of the podcast let's do it
Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this day, this night, this time that you've given us. We thank you for the breath that fills our lungs, that allows us to live, allows us to breathe, and allows us to move according to your will. Father, I pray right now for this podcast. I pray for the host of this podcast, my friend Jacob. You would continue to bless him in his ministry as whatever he is setting out to do through the work of his hands. God, that you would guide those hands and that that work would be blessed. That God, those who are listening to this podcast right now, Lord, maybe they're an atheist, maybe they're an unbeliever, maybe they're a Christian that's lost their way. Father, I pray right now that you would just continue to draw them back to yourself. God, reveal yourself to the unbeliever. Reveal yourself to the atheist. Father, call back home those who are trying to run away as the prodigal son did. And God, encourage and bless and reward those who have been faithful according to what you have called us to do in this life. In all things, we want to honor you. In all things, we want to glorify you and not ourselves. In all things, we want to give you honor and praise where it is so deserved because of who you are. Jesus, we thank you, and we praise you for all of these things. Amen. Amen.